Amen. You may be seated. All right. A lot going on today. This is exciting. This is kind of the start. Uh, Palm Sunday is kind of the start of Holy Week. I mentioned that in my prayer. Uh, we will celebrate Easter next week along with millions of Christians, hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. But not all Christians around the world will celebrate Easter next week. Actually, Ukrainian Orthodox Christians, along with many other Orthodox Christians around the world, will not celebrate Easter next week. They will celebrate Easter the following week, 14 days from today. Now, the reason for that is these Christians follow the Julian calendar as part of their tradition. The rest of the world uses the Gregorian calendar. I didn't know this before I looked it up, but the Gregorian calendar was not introduced until 1582 by Pope Gregory VIII. Apparently, if you're really famous, you just get to name calendars after yourself. The change was for scientific reasons. Okay, get ready. This is gonna blow your minds, I promise. The Julian calendar was based on the mistaken belief that it takes the earth 365.25 days to go around the sun. Many of you are familiar, hopefully, that we have 365 days in a year. And then once every four years, we have a leap year. Now, is that everybody's operating? That is wrong. That's not true. Because actually, each year is 365 0.2425 days long. Over time, this slight inaccuracy had built up, resulting in a calendar that was being used in 1581 that was not matching the rotation of the earth around the sun. So they came up with this new calendar to fix it. Now, for those of you that might be interested this shift means we don't actually celebrate leap year every four years. Here's what the U.S. Naval Observatory has to say about when leap years happen. Every year that is exactly divisible by four is a leap year. Okay, we're all good right now, right? Except for years that are exactly divisible by a hundred. But these centurial years are leap years if they are exactly divisible by 400. Okay, we're all confused. For example, the years 1700, 1800, and 1900 were not leap years. But the years 1600 and 2000 were. Now, what, is, what difference does this make to you? The only, the only reason this will make a difference is if you were alive in the year 2100, okay? I personally do not plan on being alive in the year 2100. Any of you guys that are can deal with it then, okay? This has been a digression. I just found that fact fascinating. What sent me off learning about the differing calendars was Ukrainian and other Orthodox Christian denominations celebrating Easter on a different Sunday than the majority of Christians in the world. And this is not the only unique thing about Ukrainian Orthodox Easter. They have different traditional foods and other ways of celebrating. One especially central tradition that the rest of the world has adopted from Ukrainian Orthodox is the painting of Easter eggs for Easter. Traditions 
are valuable for many reasons. They build community and create a sense of continuity. They're often intended to remind those who participate in them of something that is too important to forget. In today's text that we are going to be looking at, a tradition gets instituted by God based on an incredibly important event. That tradition and the event it commemorates both have meaning for us as we sit here today. If you would please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12, we will begin reading in verse 21 of that chapter and read through verse 28. But in today's sermon, we're really, we're really focused on all of chapter 12, but we're going to read verses 21 through 28 because they do a pretty good job summing up of what is happening in the whole chapter. If you're using the Pew Bible, that's on page 50, Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow you and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The Passover described in these verses is a huge deal. It is the culmination of the buildup that has been happening over the previous chapters in Exodus. God is drawing the people of Israel out of Egypt. Again and again over the course of the Old Testament, this event is looked back upon as the basis for Israel's identity. The Passover carried over into the New Testament. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus celebrated the Passover feast with his disciples. To understand what Jesus was doing in the final week of his life, Holy Week, it is necessary to understand the Passover. Jesus inaugurated a new Passover on the cross. Through both the original Passover and the Passover of Jesus, a people was redeemed from the slavery to the world and the judgment 
that comes with it. The Jews remembered the freedom they attained through the original Passover. Christians remember the freedom we attained through the Passover of Christ every Easter. The first Passover was an act of intentional disassociation. God is going to bring judgment on Egypt. The Egyptians have refused to turn from their wicked ways. The previous, pay, the previous plagues are warnings they have ignored. Their hearts are hard. God is judging all of Egypt along with the so-called gods they cling to. Several sermons ago, I highlighted how each of the plagues God unleashes is a repudiation of an Egyptian god or gods. Verse 12 of chapter 12 lends credence to this. There God says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of the Egyptians, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Belief drives behavior. Behavior determines what a person becomes. The only outcome possible for the Egyptian beliefs is an adversarial relationship with God that ends in their destruction. They are a runaway train rushing towards a chasm with no bridge. They are a patient with a fatal disease that has become terminal after treatments were refused. In Romans, Paul describes what has happened with the Egyptians. He writes in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. A few verses later in chapter 2, Paul describes the behavior and judgment that comes from such beliefs. He writes, For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. The people of Israel exist within Egypt, which is a nation hurtling towards judgment. God wants to separate the Israelites out from the Egyptians. He doesn't want to judge the innocent with the guilty. Although referring to the Israelites as innocent, is not quite accurate. The Israelites are not as bad as the Egyptians. They have not enslaved a whole nation, murdered babies, or defiantly opposed God. This doesn't mean they are without fault. Throughout the remainder of Exodus, it will become clear just how much the Israelites are like the Egyptians. God choosing to save the Israelites 
is not a result of how good they are. They may not be as deserving of judgment as the Egyptians are, but this does not mean they deserve to be saved. At the end of verse 11 in Exodus chapter 12, the text tells us, it is the Lord's Passover. God is the one doing the saving. He is the only one that can do the saving. It is God that rightfully judges. It is God that righteously saves. The Passover continues to have meaning for us because we find ourselves in much the same situation the Israelites did within Egypt. The kingdom of this world is a spiritual Egypt. Many gods are worshiped. We create objects that we imbue with meaning so that we can have a sense of control and purpose in our lives. We then prostrate ourselves before those idols. Our world is speeding down a track that ends in judgment. This judgment is warranted from the behaviors that have resulted from common beliefs. Self-seeking and foolish are both adjectives that can readily apply to our present world. We need to be separated from the world we live in. The problem is we have no ability to extricate ourselves. Our slavery is complete. The problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. The gods of this world rule in human hearts. Our only hope is God. The separation brought about through the original Passover was not earned. The Israelites have no ability to do much of anything to the Egyptians. They couldn't save themselves. Neither can we. We need God to separate us from the world. We need our own Passover to avoid the judgment that is coming for this world. The Passover was a symbolic act ordained by God. Its purpose was to communicate to the Israelites the spiritual separation that God was bringing about between his people and their world. Verse 13 says, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. This sign is for the people. By painting lamb's blood on their doorways, they embrace the mercy that God extends. In doing so, they mark themselves as God's people to everyone else. God could have judged the Egyptians and preserved the Israelites without blood on doorways. Previously, in, a, in another of his judgments, when God withdrew light from the Egyptians, he continued to make light 
shine on the Israelites. Light doesn't naturally restrict itself to boundaries. For God, this was not a problem. Knowing which houses belonged to those who worshipped him and those who defied him was not the reason he ordered blood painted on doorframes. Painting the doorframes was an act of faith for all who did it. The people connected to what God was doing for them through this act of faith. If they didn't paint their doorframes, they will experience the same outcome as the Egyptians because they would be rejecting the means of grace that God has provided for them. Embracing grace and separation from the world go together. One is impossible without the other. No person can be saved from the judgment of the world without separating themselves from it. The faith being expressed through the Passover recognizes that sacrifice is necessary. God doesn't tell the Israelites to paint their doorposts red. He tells them to paint their doorposts with blood. They're supposed to find a lamb. The lamb is supposed to be as close to perfect as possible. It will live in their homes. The sacrificial nature of the lamb is connected to the Israelites' guilt. They are worthy of judgment, just as their captors are. The blood of the lamb is an acknowledgement of their own debt of sin. This is not a math equation. One cut up lamb doesn't actually cover a whole family, much less a single individual. The sacrificial lamb indicates an understanding on the part of those who sacrifice that their sin has created a debt that can only be repaid with life. The blood of the lamb acknowledges in faith the distance between a holy God and the people he is in the process of saving. A farm animal can't bridge that divide. The sacrifice isn't purchasing mercy. It is recognizing the need for mercy from God. The sign of the Passover points forward to God's ultimate Passover. Jesus is the lamb who was slain for the sins of many. In John 1.29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Later in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, Jesus, the lamb that was slain, becomes the king who rules. It is through Jesus Christ that the separation between man and God was ultimately resolved. 
the cost that was hinted at by the sacrifice of lambs at the first Passover is paid completely by God in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus could actually pay the price that needs to be paid for our debt of sin. The reason we no longer sacrifice lambs is that Jesus has fulfilled the need for a sacrifice that could restore the relationship between God and man. What the Passover looked forward to has been accomplished in Christ. No additional sacrifices are needed. On the night he was betrayed, as he was celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples, Jesus made clear that what was about to happen was final. His body was to be broken for the forgiveness of sins. His blood was to be spilled to institute a new covenant. The Passover was a one-time event that God told the Israelites to remember yearly for good reason. It was important for the Israelites to remember what God had done for them. Their salvation as a people was a result of their participation in God's mercy. They had no ability to overcome the Egyptians on their own. They were, they were slaves. All they could do was cry out. Their reliance on God's strong right hand was complete. They were caught up in the inevitable judgment of this world. The kingdoms of this world stand in defiant opposition to God. Egypt was just one variation of that kingdom situated at a certain time and place. The Israelites were a part of Egypt to avoid judgment. They needed to be extricated. When the Israelites forgot the source of their salvation over the years, they forgot about the Passover as well. Throughout their history, forgetting was a consistent problem. Decades would pass without the Passover being celebrated in Israel. During those times, they would wander away from God. When this happened, they would become like the Egypt they had been pulled out of. The Israelites would focus on building monuments to their own glory. These monuments were often built on the back-breaking labor of the poor and the slaves. Forgetting what God had done at the Passover led to a defiant moral decay which resulted in judgment, remembering the Passover was necessary for Israel to exist in the grace God had shown them. Christians must remember what God has done for us through the ultimate Passover sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Apart from the lamb which was slain for us, we are slaves to this world. We had no ability to free ourselves. The powers that controlled us were too great. Our weaknesses were all consuming. 
our association with the defiant kingdom of the world placed us in the pathway of God's inevitable judgment. We needed to be saved. Our separation from the world through God's mercy is our salvation. We must not forget what Jesus did for us. This is what we do on Easter. We intentionally remember that we have been passed over. In faith, we recognize what God has done for us. The more we remember what Jesus did on the cross, the more we will live out our life in a manner that is consistent with that sacrifice. We are totally dependent on grace. This is as true as it today as it was at whatever point we recognized our inability to bring about our own salvation. Traditions are important for many reasons. It is nice to have food we look forward to, phrases we say to each other, and opportunities to restore connections with friends and family. When it comes to Easter, it is most important that we recall what the underlying reason for our traditions is. Every one of us was enslaved to the kingdom of this world, which is on a pathway towards destruction. God acted through the blood of the lamb to redeem us. That truth is the basis for all of our life moving forward, just as God's saving of Israel was supposed to be the basis for their way of living. We are redeemed from the world by the blood of the Lamb, God's own Son, Jesus Christ. This is the central truth that Easter is a time to intentionally remember. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a heavy sermon in many ways. It's a heavy thing for us to remember. And there will be those in this room that, that disregard it, that disagree with it, that don't think that this truth applies to their lives, Lord. And I pray for any of those that are here today that they engage with your truth fully, Lord, that they don't disregard it or ignore it. And I pray for those that have accepted this truth as the theoretical basis for their lives, Lord, that it would mean more to us than just something we remember periodically, but that it would be the basis for how we live out our lives. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.